I'm Zach Weiss, and you're listening to Across the Cavs on the Basketball Podcast Network. Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome inside the latest edition of Across the Cavs on Monday, December 12th. A date with the San Antonio Spurs is looming. Today would have marked the 73rd birthday, rest in peace, of two-year Cavalier Randy Smith. Averaged 16 points per game across two seasons with the organization. Was a journeyman and was a very solid player. Of course, passed away well too soon. And three small signings on this day in Cavs history. Scott Brooks in 97, Mel Bennett in 81, and Bobby Washington in 1970. On today's show... We've been talking a lot about the current Cavs. We've talked about other teams. We've talked about the Celtics recently. We've talked about the Knicks. We're talking about a team that we all love, whether in secret or in truth, because about half of their roster seemingly once played in Cleveland. We're talking about the Utah Jazz, more like the Utah Cavs, the Cleveland Jazz. Call it what you want. We got Jackson Stevenette of the Jazz Beats podcast, who knows the Jazz better than any of us think we know them. And it's a, and I'm very excited to bring him on now. We can talk about the team that we love to root for that does not share the same jersey combination. Zach, thanks for having me. It's good to be here. Um, that's that's interesting to know that you guys are are still fans of these players, and I love. We I feel like well, I've I've had teams in the past that are the Jazz of the East that I've used before. So it sounds like that may be a thing here. Mm-hmm. Uh, Utah being the Cavs of the West, I love it. Yeah, I mean, your top three leading scorers came from Cleveland, two in the same trade in marketing and Sexton. You got Clarkson in the middle. Ochai is there. We did business with Kyle Korver. We, we, we both had CJ Miles go off. Right. We both had Alec Burks. There, there's so many other names that have come between the two teams. And I think there really wasn't the strong connection because while the Alec Burks trade was fun for a little while, it really didn't change either of our futures. But now this last one, most certainly did huge huge for I think both teams you know and that's kind of the way the league is these days it seems like players are are getting around teams a little more often than it was a decade or two ago and so it's 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 interesting to see that the change in teams and how rapidly a team can change across the board yeah and for the Jazz you know now at 15 and 14 they're not playing a perfect basketball but I think uh, you, you probably have a different thought because you watch them more consistently. I've probably seen parts of about 20 of the 29 games this year. But are, are you – is this a successful start to the season, all things considered, for the Utah Jazz, Jackson? I, f- I feel like it depends when you ask me that question, you know. If, if I'm going off um, preseason expectations, obviously uh, to be above 500 is tremendous. Because we're thinking Danny Ainge comes in, he blows up the organization. We have three guys from last year's roster is all. And um, we're thinking, man, we're in the Wembanyama race. We're going for uh, draft picks. We're tank mode. And then all of a sudden we come in and start 10 and three. And so considering that 10 and three start, I, I feel like we're right where we, we should be. Um, that, that start was awesome. I loved every second of it. It was so unexpected. But now that we've got 20, 30 games under us, this this is kind of where the team is in my mind. Um, so expectations now are are about where they are, and and uh, we're a, we're a lot more fun team than I thought we'd be uh, with with the style of play we do. But 
Um, we're not the team that we started off the season as, and we're also not this this tanking, terrible team. So I, I feel like we're kind of in the middle of the pack, and that's that's where my expectations are towards the end of the season as of now. Yeah, and I think what's what's interesting about the Jazz, they did bring in a first-year coach in Will Hardy, but I'm looking at their staff, and of all the assistants that they brought in, it looks like they only have one new assistant coach, and that would be Sean Sheldon. So how do you think it's maybe helped Will Hardy? Obviously, it's up and down, and we're going to talk specific players shortly. How do you think it's helped him to kind of bring a staff of more veteran coaches that have been around the NBA circuit a little longer than he has? Um, I think the reason for us having a familiar staff besides Hardy is might be just because he is a one-time or a first-time coach and hasn't made a lot of network connections and doesn't have a lot of names on his list of potential assistants. So that could be why, could be why that these guys know the organization, but like we said, it's a brand new team. So um, I don't know how much they, they would have helped just because he's a, he's a new coach. He obviously wants to decide and figure out his play style, his coaching style. And um, with a whole new team, I think that's the easiest opportunity to do that. And so um, I, I don't know how much they'd help. I think it's more of a well, maybe not all the way, but slightly for the fans' enjoyment, like just to have familiar faces on the bench, and it's to keep those those long-lasting fans, and it's not just this, uh, we are in a completely new team in Utah, new coach, new ownership in the last couple of years. I don't even know what to do myself as a, as a fan anymore. So it's nice to see some familiar faces there. Yeah, no, it's got to help. This is first time in a while they've had a new coach, you know, Quinn Snyder, He's what the first full coach they had after Ty Corbin, I think had been there for a while. Right. And now, okay. So here, here's where I'm curious about your thoughts, Jackson, because having seen the jazz and followed them, every guy that's been in the rotation, no disrespect here, but with the exception of Rudy Gay has had a big game. Markkinen's had a number of them. So has Clarkson. Mike Conley's had his moments. Collins had some double doubles, big scoring days. Vanderbilt, more so on the earlier part of the season. Olenix had some, wow, he's still this good type of game. You know, Malik Beasley, <laughs> what he does, Walker Kessler's had, what, four or five block games. He averages two blocks in 15 minutes. Alexander Walker is only averaging six. He just dropped 27 the other day, even though he has a DNP. CG Horton Tucker has a points assist double-double this season. So that said, my, my question here, and even Fontecchio with that game-winning dunk that Really, that whole game should be scrapped for both teams. The refs were atrocious. But who are the guys you don't like? And I know we're, we'll talk about oh, the, the rotation. Because when everyone's healthy, they can't be playing all 12. I, I, Alexander Walker was DNPCD. And then when if they get Colin and Conley back, he can't be still playing point guard. You're going to hit me with that right off the bat. I, of guys I don't like. Um, like you said, all these big games are just show like the, the unfamiliarness, I think from other teams, I think that's why our success was good at the start of the year is teams coming in, had no idea what they were going to get. They don't know what Laurie Mark and then they were going to see if they were going to see, um, Chicago rookie year marketing where he's having 20, 25 point games, or if it's maybe the Cleveland marketing who didn't quite know, or maybe coaching, or you can tell me more about that, didn't quite have the right fit. Um, or is it finished marketing? You know what I mean? Um, mm -hmm. Guys, I don't like. It's terrible. This is, this is, 
I wasn't expecting this. I know. I, I wasn't going to go there, but I'm thinking so many guys have played well, and we've read a lot of reports about, about Horton Tucker and Alexander Walker not being playable at times on the Lakers and Alexander Walker at times in New Orleans and even in Portland where he was for a little while. So I'm just kind of curious because we'll see these box scores of these guys popping off after sitting on the bench. And so you wonder, should they be sitting the veterans for these young guys or are these one game blips where then they kind of fade back into normalcy? Okay, I've got two names for you that I can come up with. First of okay. all, though, I, I want to shout out Will Hardy for experimenting and actually playing some guys and, uh, and figuring out lineups. That's something we were missing with Quinn Snyder. I feel like he had his, his guys, his rotation, and no matter how the game was going, it's almost like he was reading a script and saying, nope, we are finishing this game with these guys. This is what's out there. I'm not adjusting. So I, I love this. It's a, it's a new light for us being in Utah. Um, the two names I'm going to give you, if I had to choose, mm -hmm. um, THT, Talon Horton Tucker, the consistency is not, um, I don't love, love the lack of consistency, I guess. It seems like sometimes he'll be on the floor and he's the best player on the court, making amazing finishes and playing defense with his wingspan. And then there's other times where he's um, just shooting himself out of games and taking horrible shots, making bad decisions. And so just... That fact makes me almost uncomfortable seeing him on the floor sometimes. Yep. Um, and then the other name, and this comes from um, Tyson and I, my, my co-host, were able to go to Denver and watch uh, the Jazz play. And we were on the front row right behind the bench. So we mm -hmm. were able to see and hear interactions in timeouts and stuff. And as a Buki, I know he doesn't get a ton of time and he's not one of these rotation guys. This is my, my mulligan. <laughs> um, He's probably a guy I would, I would consider, I wouldn't mind leaving as well. And that comes from, there was a timeout late in the game. It was garbage minutes and, and he was coming off an injury. So there is that, but he looked at the coach after he said something with pure puzzlement on his face. And he's the only guy I saw that entire game have a question of what am I supposed to do after the timeout? Everyone else was so engaged, nodding their heads. Yep, I know exactly what to do, where to go. Executed perfectly after timeout. But he looked at Hardy like, um, what? What did you just tell me? I don't know. And, it, and they, they had this little side interaction afterward. And that just, like, basketball IQ maybe just not be there. Uh, it could be coming off an injury. But that's my reasoning for him. So those two guys, if I had to pick. But I love this team. It's so surprising. A lot of these guys, and I love them. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, it's, it's his third year. He still doesn't get playing time, and right. he is coming off. I, I don't know the specifics of the injury, but that 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 makes sense. And on THT, I feel I feel similarly. Shooting thirty eight percent from the field, twenty three from three. Yeah, he finds a way to still average seven points in seventeen minutes. It's it's a, it's points, but yeah. I I agree. I think he'll be one of the odd guys out when everyone's at full strength. And then, wait, so just f finish with me here. Does that mean you enjoy Rudy Gay? Oh, what, what's left of him? Well, again, he's a guy that we haven't seen a ton of time with injuries. Um, honestly, I didn't even think of him because I expect him to be gone soon. Yeah. Um, he's not a guy that fits the team uh, as far as our dynamic. I mean, even Mike Conley, who's old, can still run run with these guys and he can demand like the or, or run the offense. But Rudy Gay just seems like he doesn't fit. Um, so, yeah, you could you could throw him on that list, too. All right, that's fair. We got a lot more to cover. 
Jackson Stevenette, Zach Weiss, across the Cavs. Word from DraftKings, and we will return. The NBA season is heating up, and there are still so many unknown factors. Like how many games the Cavs are going to win? Who's going to win the East? I'm looking to get in on the action, I bet, with DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NBA. New customers can bet just $5 pregame money on any NBA team to win their game. Get $150 in free bets if they do. Check this out. Right now, everyone can earn up to a 100% boost with DraftKings. Stepped up, same game parlays. The more legs you add, the bigger the boost, the bigger your shot to win big. I'm looking right now to pick the Cavs to beat the Knicks today and then the Lakers and the Kings in the next two. Might even think about going SGP. Mitchell points, Garland assists. Why not? So download the app now. Sign up with code TBPN. Place a $5 pregame money line bet on any NBA team to win their game and get $150 in free bets if they do. That's code TBPN only at DraftKings Sportsbook. Minimum age and eligibility restrictions apply. See show notes for details. Welcome back, folks, with Jackson Stevenette, Zach Weiss here, as always, on Across the Cast, talking about the Utah Jazz. We have not yet covered perhaps the most intriguing storyline for today's episode, and that, Jackson, would be the trade that went down over the summer, which sent Donovan Mitchell to Cleveland in exchange for Oshai Abaji, Lowry Markkinen, Colin Sexton, and several first-round picks. So my first question for you here is on the Donovan side. What was your reaction to seeing, regardless of the haul, that he was actually officially traded? Because that was in the news for a while first. Well, before Gobert got traded, um, there was talks and rumors and and even quotes from sources or whatever you want to say, saying um, one of these guys is, is leaving. And even after the Gobert trade, word came out that the Jazz were, were developing a team around Donovan Mitchell. And that's why Gobert was gone. He was, and we kind of made a choice. We're choosing Mitchell to stay here. And so uh, initially is when the rumors came back of the whole New York trades and then Cleveland kind of came under the radar. Um, it it kind of, we got more comfortable saying, yeah, he's probably going to go if the right price comes in, but I, I hate to see him go. He's, he's, He's been a guy that's been here from the start. He's super dynamic. One of the most charismatic uh, jazz players that have been there in a long time, since maybe as long as I've been a fan in my lifetime that I've noticed. And so just that fact, and you're seeing Donovan Mitchell jerseys and shoes on these young kids too, and they just idolize this guy. So I I, I love the guy and I, I hate to see him go. I'm glad he's doing as well as he is. Um, having said that, we, I have noticed a lot of people, a lot of other jazz fans saying kind of good riddance, you know, and it's, it's mind blowing to me that that's even a conversation. Um, cause he's don't done so much for, for Utah and the jazz when he was here. Yeah, definitely seems like a, a great community guy. Every time he's interacting with fans or, you know, when there was a lot of the political issues in there, I think he was a really positive voice for the city, you know, kind of as an ambassador for the team and the area. See, I, I am surprised to hear that. I haven't seen a ton of it, but there's always those, those Twitter trolls, those fans that aren't real fans that kind of just pose to be, you know, Mark Phillips hyphen instigator as one of the greater memes. 
that came out. And then on the, on the flip side, Jackson, how have you felt about the three new calves? Obviously, Abaji hasn't played as much, but Larry Markin is averaging 23 and eight. And Colin Sexton, when he's healthy, I know he'll be out a little bit with a hamstring right now. It seems that he, he can be a reliable, uh, for, at least for now, uh, maybe third or sometimes fourth option with his current physical state. Um, I've loved Markinen ever since Arizona. Uh, Western guy, so we got a lot of TV time here in Utah. Um, played in Arizona, University of Arizona. So I've liked him from the start. Um, it was fun seeing him in the summer with, his, uh, with Finland playing in the, the world's tournament or whatever, seeing him go off and seeing him as the best player on his team and seeing him mature and develop this confidence that he's rolled over into the Utah. Um, so he's been, he's been awesome to me. I, I love watching him. His style is, is so fun to watch just his length and his ability to score from anywhere. Um, he's great. Sexton. Where, where's the list? Let's go Sexton. Um, you, you can't not like him just from his energy and his passion and his, and, and I, I think I'll say that he is probably one of the top, one of the quickest guys end to end in the uh -huh. league. I'm glad other teams can say that now with, with, with respect. Thank you. Yes, Yeah, exactly. I mean, when he turns it on and goes, it's, it's fun. And that's what this team needs too with our, with our youth and our length and the ability to run. So he kind of, he fits in nicely. It is, it's weird seeing the difference in him and Mike Conley because those are kind of their that position, obviously. Um, but they're two completely different players. Um, but I I love what I, we're getting out of Sexton. And then not enough can be said about Jordan Clarkson, at least as he's been in Utah. I I'm not really familiar with him in Cleveland. Just the fact that he was there, he was off the bench, still just kind of doing his thing. You you tell me what was what was George, Cleveland Jordan Clarkson like? Compared yeah. to this Utah guy. All right. So well, right when he got there from the Lakers, he was decent. When the playoffs started, every acquisition just forgot how to play. George Hill was bad. Clarkson was bad. Nance was bad. Hood was terrible. Two of them were not in the finals rotation when they got swept. The next year came. Everyone left. Clarkson averaged 18 and a half off the bench. The year after that, he was playing well again. I think he had a 30-point game against Memphis off the bench. Then he got traded after that game is, is when that news broke that we were sending him to Utah. But uh, he was he was all, all in all. I'd probably give him a B- minus just because when the That's game fair. mattered, he was terrible. But then after the fact, he came in and was productive when he had a larger role and could dominate the ball again. Interesting. Uh, it's kind of the same way here, I, I feel like. Um, him coming off the bench was was really fun. I mean, he's a guy who's not shy by any means to get the ball in the air. Um, and to see some of the things he was capable of doing was great, but you did see him a lot force some things, um, especially with our team's last couple of years, which were mm, maybe go as far as contenders, but top teams in the West. Um, he would, he would kind of overshoot himself sometimes. And like I said earlier, Quinn Snyder didn't let him finish games very often. So we didn't get to see him in those clutch moments to see what he could or couldn't do. Um, but having him start this year has been a ton of fun and seeing his role change into more of a facilitator. He's averaging five assists a, a game. I, I'm confident in saying that's probably a career high. Um, so seeing him able to adapt to a starting role because he hasn't been there in so long has been fun to see. And, and it, he, he's great. I mean, one of the most talented people I've watched as far as being able to get his own shot up, which is fun to watch.
Yeah, Clarkson came into the league as a point guard, which a lot of people might forget. So his rookie year with the Lakers, he was playing a lot of point, but he only averaged three and a half assists. The, the minutes played per game are a career high, as are the assists, the points, the rebounds are not. The shooting percentage of 43-2 is his highest in a couple of seasons since before the, the bubble. So, no, I, I've, I've liked him. Now, my only other Clarkson question, then we'll get a quick Abaji mention and move on. Have his actions in these last couple of games where he had the, the ejection, the headband thrown, are these rubbing you the wrong way? Or is this just kind of a guy that's frustrated with how the game's being officiated and he's not holding anything back? I'm going to kind of speak for the Utah community maybe because I feel like we're all on the same page. We, we love a guy like that that kind of brings some emotion and passion. When we had Jay Crowder here a few years ago and seeing him um, – honestly rile some people up and and be that that dog in the fight you know and then when he was gone we didn't have that for a while so i love seeing emotion and that's what we get out of sexton as well seeing him beat his chest every now and then and just like you can tell he's passionate about it so seeing that from clarkson i'm not worried um the the headband thing was stupid in general to yeah. me um the ejection again i thought was un unnecessary agreed so um seeing that no i have no issue i love watching guys be passionate about the things they're doing so and what do we think about abaji he doesn't play much he has been in the rotation of late. He's made a couple of shots from what i've read at least and maybe you can elaborate it seems like his defense is exactly what you expect from a four-year college player that was drafted 14th overall yeah i think he was he's he's uncomfortable on defense just seeing the the, the jump from the college to NBA is, is amazing. I mean, you're seeing the greatest athletes in the world. Um, and so, so that jump there, the, the level of talent is, is astronomical compared to college. Um, that's a lot of why I don't watch a lot of college is just because of the pure level of talent. So I'm sure being comfortable in those four years in, in, in Kansas kind of made him that way and kind of deer in the headlights, but He's got the tools. He's got the body to, I think, play this game. Um, I would love to sit down with Will Hardy and ask him what he has or hasn't seen because we haven't seen enough of him to know why he's not playing, I feel like. Um, nine minutes a game isn't enough to really analyze a guy, but he, especially the last couple games, he's gotten a little more time, so it's it's good to see. And as of in the next couple of years, I could see him sticking around and being a part of this this team with all these draft picks and we're gonna our youth is gonna be even greater in years to come. So I could see him sticking around and being a part of it. And then the last jazz rookie that really had an impact would be Don, right? So Royce Royce came in, he wasn't playing that much, right? His first season. And then that was what four years ago, five years ago? As Mitchell? far as rookie rookie season? Rookie rookie season where there's an impact in Utah. Don would have had to have been the last one, right? I'm not missing anybody obvious. Yeah, easy easily. Okay, so I think for that, maybe obviously new coach now, but and I feel like Gordon Hayward had a very minimal rookie season. I feel like Mitchell mm -hmm. Gobert took it to his third or fourth year. He was playing behind right. Cantor, who was also a lottery pick a year before he came into the league or, or two. But I, I think I think he'll get better personally. I, I'd love to have that conversation with you as well with Will Hardy, but just getting minutes at all, hopefully it's helping him. And okay, so now we talked about Mitchell. I'm curious about Rudy Gobert because. Every time I throw on the Wolves, it, se it seems like he's engaged. He's aggressive inside. He's playing his defense. He's getting his rebounds. Then you look at 
the media or the tweets or the final score. And it's like, what the heck happens when I tuned out? But what the, what you guys got in exchange, I think it was what Malik Beasley, Patrick Beverly, who he then flipped for Horton Tucker, Leandro Balmero and a four first round picks, right? Yeah. Plus the, the Walker Kessler who that's right. Practically it, a first round pick. You know? Yeah. Okay. So that, that said two, two parter first, is that one of the most, is that to you the most lopsided trade ever? And two would be, do you miss him at all? Um, don't let me forget. Cause I do want to hear your thoughts on, on Mitchell and how Cleveland has received oh, him. Oh, 100%. Well, we can come back to that. Um, coming next, this, this trade honestly broke the free agency or broke the trade period for the NBA in my mind. Um, yeah, I think it is one of the most, maybe not lopsided, but biggest hauls we've ever seen in a trade. And especially for a guy that's like Rudy Gobert, who is, who is, it's interesting. I, I've felt like this for a couple of years. You can get 80% of Gobert in 20% of his contract. So what you get with Gobert is outstanding. And it's, especially when he was in Utah, um, and you couldn't get it anywhere else, but you could get a budget Gobert for for a, a an eighth of the price, you know. So that's where it's hard. But seeing him get traded for what he we got for him, I, I think was the sole reason Durant never got traded because that was in talks for a while. But if you're Brooklyn and seeing Gobert got traded for four first rounders and and three rotation guys, we can't take less for Durant, you know, so, and nobody else is going to give that. I, he broke the market at the time and it was unprecedented. And now it, it just looks even better for Utah. Yeah. That future is bright. Well, mini OKC with more talent on the court, but my thoughts on the Mitchell trade would be that in real time, just, and this didn't cross my mind when the deal happened, but as uh, the world tournament was going on and marketing was popping off. This was when the trade happened. Those games were still happening. He was still putting up Rubio's Spain numbers of last year, but even better where he setting career highs every single game. So I was going to miss him for that. Another Utah Cleveland connection right there. Yeah, they're, they're everywhere. Well, that, that's <laughs> also another selling point. Well, it, it, though it was a trade, not a signing for, for, uh, for Don was that I know him and Ricky were very close in their one season, to, two seasons, yeah, two seasons together in Utah. It was one season with right. Phoenix, two seasons in Utah for Rubio. But, no, I, I was excited. I, I was very shocked. It's very rare that my phone blows up in the middle of the day on a Thursday. You know, you ha it has to either be Cavs-related or some big personal news that, that went on LinkedIn or Twitter that <laughs> just has nothing to do with sports. That That's it. <laughs> It's or, or your birthday, I guess. This, this was not my birthday. It was a couple of weeks before my birthday. My birth, my phone has not blown up since my birthday. That was three months ago. So that, that says. Anyway, though, that being said, you know, um, I was very excited. And it, it's tough to give up Colin because I never wanted to. But thinking about they still hadn't come to terms yet. We've seen Cavs in the past go all summer without a contract. Tristan Thompson signed his what was considered to be insane at the time, five-year, $82 million deal, five days before the season, after spending the whole summer holding out, waiting for money. And because he shared an agent with Braun, it was pretty easy to, to make it happen. And then J.R. Smith, similar, signed a little earlier than Tristan did, but he went a lot of time without a contract. So 
I, I figured they would sign him eventually. I'm, I'm personally shocked that four years, 72 was the deal. My thoughts all of last season with Colin, given the injury and what he was before it, was to give him like a one-year 25 mil type deal, kind of like what you saw J.J. Redick and KCP sign when they switched teams for the first time, Redick to the Sixers, and not, not the first time for him switching teams, but KCP right. to the Lakers. It was just a one-year massive deal. Get let's them in the building. Kind of thing. Yeah, let's see what happens. And obviously that never that didn't come to fruition. But seeing how he's played post-injury, I think that is fair value for now. I think we'll find out if it's better value for Utah or lower value for Sexton in two years when he's been healthy long enough and gone through full seasons. And I miss Lowry. I miss him. Abaji, you know, I thought would have been a decent wing. But the thing with the Cavs and for all the wing depth they have, they're still figuring it out. You know, their starting wing right now is an undrafted Lamar Stevens, who I liked and thought he should start the whole time. It was Levert in the beginning, who's been very hit or miss, a lot more miss. I still think they should move him. But that said, Lowry was the three, and it opened up uh, the spot there for five or six guys to compete for the small forward spot, all capable of minutes when healthy. So I think it was still a win because you bring a proven star that sure. He never made it past the second round. Every time I watch, I wonder how can everyone seriously let them down again and again and again, where he's putting up all these baskets. They blew the game against the Clippers. Not his fault. Every time I watch in the playoffs, he turns into a combination of Dirk Nowitzki, Allen Iverson, Paul Pierce, finals, Kyrie, Dwayne Wade. He doesn't miss. He gets stepped basket. He rebounds like a big. And I think, for him, this is finally his chance to make it to round three this season. Obviously, the East is very tough, but I, I think it's good for him to have a change of scenery. There was a lot of toxicity just with the Gobert dynamic. Whatever it was, the media had to have been weighing on him. So I'm, I'm very happy with the trade. And I think it's good for both sides because you're getting the value in Lowry, Colin, and you'll get some picks where you can kind of maybe find the next Kessler or another player late in the first round. And on the Cavs side, you get a guy that takes the burden off Darius and you have two closers now. You're, you're like bringing a tear to my eye talking about all these Mitchell memories for me. Um, no, I, I love what he's doing. I think he fits this team amazingly. Um, so, so yeah, take, take care of our guy. And I, I hope we, we see Cleveland in, a, in the finals this year. That'd be great. As much as I like that to happen, you know, I'm seeing what the Celtics are doing and they're, oh, 20, they're, they're, they're 21 and six. They've got the perfect rotation. They have just enough veterans. Now they're bringing in more, bringing in Blake Griffin, I think was a great move just for a guy that's been in the league and has had every role imaginable from starter to bench warmer to overhype to underhype to best player. You know, you bring in Malcolm Brogdon who hasn't won in the playoffs before, but they nickname him the president. He's one of the smartest players in the league as far as basketball IQ. And when he's on the court, he's great. And if for some reason he's not, which you don't want to see, he becomes a great mentor. You brought in Derek White last year, who came from the best culture in the NBA. I think everything they've done, and I think Noah Vonley, you bring in a prove it guy that's hungry and knows he might not be around the whole season. He's going to give everything he has when he's on the court. Justin Jackson, whatever. I think it's cool. He's still in the league. He's never made a massive difference, but I think he's always been one of the best shooters in every practice gym. I, and then Luke Cornett, who just stuck around the game long enough to become useful again for the first time since college. No disrespect, he just hasn't been an impactful NBA player. 
I think what they're doing is great, but I want to finish that and I'll give you a chance to speak on the Celtics by saying, I think there's no way. And I know he just got hurt again. Chris Middleton, if the Bucks are at full strength and Joe Ingles, who's about to make his debut and I think a week or so comes back, the Bucks will demolish them in five in a series and they're untouchable. The Celtics. Yes. Okay. Demolish in, in that the games are all going to be close, but the Bucks are going to close them out and win in five. Like they're going to demolish them in the series score, but not in the actual okay. 48 minutes. Okay. That- First, Joe Ingles leaving was probably a bigger heartbreak than either Rudy or Donovan. That That's how we feel about Joe Ingles. Um, but yeah, the, the Celtics are, as of right now, just, just walking through the league, I feel like. Um, but but I, I think the Cavs are right there. Like you said, the East is stacked. The East is the West of, of five years ago, five to eight years ago. Um, top to bottom, East town is, is, is killing it. And I think the West, because of that, is, is kind of wide open. Um, but those top top half of the playoff picture in the east is 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 incredible and i could i could very well see the east winning it this year regardless of who it is i would not be surprised even going down to to philly if they ever figure things out they've got the the talent to be able to play through the playoffs but it's just a matter of 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 doing it and staying healthy but um and and they're way down the line too so yeah the east is the east is where i feel the west was half a decade ago um, but, but I'm, I'm rooting for the Cavs, to be honest. I'm rooting for Mitchell. I, I love what he's doing. Um, I love him, his, his ability to just come in and walk into a team and be the go-to guy. I don't know what, how you feel that that's been for Garland. Like you said, taking some of the pressure off of him, but, um, but I, I love watching him. I'm glad he's thriving in Cleveland. Do I miss him? Absolutely. But it's one of those few trades that it was a win-win for both teams as far as I see it. Yeah, absolutely a win-win. And, you know, it's, it's been a lot of fun to see both teams have their moments. Obviously, I watch the Cavs on pretty much every game. Um, I'm living it. I'm breathing it. I'm tweeting it. And on the Utah side, it's been great to see what they've been able to do, you know, with a, with a coach that really is young, but he has been just what they needed. You know, for whatever it was, you know, and it's really unfortunate. I feel very bad, you know, for all the employees of the Celtics that had had to deal with what happened and then how it came out and whatever. But Will Hardy was on that staff. He learned a lot and who knows how impactful he actually was. He could have had a larger voice than we realize in that second half turnaround. So to come here and beat out and it was a long process, if I recall, for the Utah Jazz hiring a coach. And there were a lot of veterans on that list. And they ended up going with Hardy instead. And I think they definitely made the right choice. They might not. You know, we might feel differently, rather, in a couple of years. But I think first year, navigating them through this transition where he's got the combination of veterans and young guys, he's supposed to be losing in, retro- in essence, but that they can still compete is fantastic. Yeah. I mean, the fact that he was like a a video coordinator under Popovich, Will Hardy I'm talking about, and very temporarily before, or it was very short until Popovich said, hey, you, I want you on my staff. I like everything you're doing. So so just that short story of Will Hardy, like tells me he's going to be successful, you know, for, for, for Popovich to, to notice him from, from what he was doing. I, I don't know the details of what his job was, but 
I imagine cutting up film or just working through video, maybe doing scouting reports, but to know that how good he was at that saying, Nope, you're done there. Get your butt on the bench. And we're, and we're going to go from there. I, I mean, I have all the confidence in the world in him. Like you said, it could be a couple of years. We could have a different conversation, but yeah, he's just what we needed. He was fresh, fresh eyes, fresh energy um, coming in. And there was some, I'm, I'm sure there was some toxicity, like you said earlier about with, with Quinn Snyder and Gobert and Mitchell kind of all together. I think you could see it just by looking at Quinn Snyder. I think he aged about 20 years in the eight years he was here. Was it so, eight years? I think he was here eight years. Wow. So in my head, I was thinking six, eight years. I'll, I'll conf- wow. You, yeah, you confirm. Um, I know my wife's pretty upset. She was a huge Quinn Snyder fan. I think it was like the skinny pants that she was into or something, or just the, <laughs> the, the serial killer look in his yeah. eyes sometimes. But um, eight, eight years. But yep. Eight years. Yep, eight years. So, no, I, I liked Snyder at the time, but we needed something new, and we got it. And here's what I didn't realize. So, Quinn Snyder, this is news to me. I, I don't know his whole story. He was an assistant with the Clippers in 92, 93 at age 26. And then it took 18 more years for him to be back in the NBA at age 44. Spent one year in Philly, one year with the Lakers. Took a year off or got fired. I don't know. And maybe the Lakers changed staffs. They did that a lot in the 2010s. Coached Atlanta in 13-14, then got the Utah job. So that, that's interesting. Three assistant stops in four years, then became a head coach. Again, I didn't know this, but he was a four-time coach of the month. He did win 21 playoff games. It's not enough. No way that's enough, but there were some moments, obviously. Yeah, there were moments. There, there had to be to be the, the have the best record in the league. We haven't done that since the 90s, you know? So to come in and do that, there, there's obviously success there, and... Like I said, at the time, Snyder was was great for us. He, he was kind of Will Hardy when he came in, first-time head coach in the NBA, young at the time for a head coaching job, and and brought a ton of energy. So, yeah, we, we enjoyed him. And now here's my final question for you, Jackson, before we wrap up. Okay, we're I'm se- ready. All right, we're seven days away from the Javs. Javs. <laughs> The Jav- we've been pretty much calling them that all day so. yeah the, the Javs and the Casaliers. now utah <laughs> jazz and cleveland Cavs will meet at rocket mortgage fieldhouse next monday 7 eastern are you going to be rooting for don or is this a case of you just want to dominate and let's see how lowry and colin if colin's back or maybe then just lowry can come out and show out against their old squad I think this is like a, a good analogy would be brothers kind of going at it. Like, obviously I want success for my brother, but when it comes game time and I'm, we're going against each other, no, screw you at that point. You know, I'm going all in and, and I, I hope the jazz walk away with it easy. Now I wouldn't mind Donovan going for 40 if long as we still win, but, but yeah, this is, this is a brotherly um, competition here. And, and yeah, I, I, I can't cheer too much for him yeah. at the time. Yeah, if Colin does play, which I hope he does, this will be the first time I'm ever unhappy when he scores, <laughs> ever. And just for, for reference on this, so the Cavs lost to Sacramento on Friday. They went scoreless for the final five minutes. It was disgusting to watch. This is my first episode since that game happened. But I will admit that every time Della Vadova did something good, I could care less that we were losing, whatever was happening. Because that's my favorite player who helped us win a title, who it just gave everything every time he was on back in the league and doing it doesn't matter who he's facing. So I was, I was a glut. 
three. Yes, I was a little upset about the Cavs defense letting him shoot, even though he shot at 10% his final season here. But damn, that's my guy. He's back. And everyone still cares about Matthew Dellavedova. He's your he's your Joe Ingles. He's your Utah Joe Ingles, it sounds like. Because I'll we'll we'll go till we die cheering for Joe Ingles. If if Milwaukee beats Utah in the finals off a of Joe Ingles buzzer beater, I, I it's hard to be gonna, it's gonna be hard to be upset about that because he's he's our guy. It's 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 the un Ingles was undrafted, wasn't he? Was he undrafted? I think he was. Yeah, because he was like a 26-year-old rookie at the time. All right, so that's those undrafted mates from the Outback. That's, that's right. What we, that's what we like. So that's it. That's it right there. They got fun the fact, accent. My, fun fact, my co-host is in Australia right now. That's why, that's why I'm alone today. So. All right, right. respect, and hopefully he's, uh, he's hanging out. I guess no, the Ingles aren't in Australia. Maybe neither are the Delvadovas anymore. Oh, well, maybe, <laughs> maybe he's with, uh, with Patty Mills' family. Just uh, smoke, sure. smoke, smoking on the Barbie and cheersing the fact that he finally got off the bench and had a big game the other day. <laughs> but all right, Jackson, a pleasure bringing you on to talk about the Utah Jazz and all things Cavaliers. Hey, thanks for having me, Zach. I hope this isn't a one-time thing, and I hope to uh, hope the Jazz walk away with it next week. No offense to Cleveland, but but we're coming, um, and we'll see what happens. Uh, yeah, best of luck to the Utah Cavs against the Cleveland Jazz next week. <laughs> should, should be a great battle. We'll definitely get together again. But for Jackson, Stevenette, I'm Zach Weiss. This has been Across the Cavs. You like what you heard? Head to Apple, Spotify, iHeart, wherever you get your podcasts. We're there. So we'll see you there, and we will catch you next time.